We are Lone Star 187. Two sisters that love listening to true crime podcasts and decided to give this shit a try. Since we are Texas through and through, we will be researching murders across our Lone Star state. 187 is slang for the penal code for homicide. Since police codes are unique by city and county, we decided to simply use something that most people would get. We know this code isn't specific to Texas, but hey, we like it and it's our podcast, so we do what we want. Lone Star 187 most definitely contains elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Unit heading out to that disturbance exit seat in the vehicle. Go ahead and reduce, but continue, reduce, but continue at one point. Case file 53, Patricia Lee Mills. We're back. We're back again. Again, again. Back again. Guess we're again. back. Back again. Lone Star's back. Back again. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. <laughs> so, what's your name? I shouldn't talk to strangers. Fuck off. <laughs> open, the, open the damn door. I was so wondering, like, what is her response going to be? <laughs> well, I'm Brittany. And I'm Carrie. And together we are Lone, Lone Star 187. Bum bum bum. And the crowd goes wild. <sighs> okay. So are you gonna ask me? Put your damn phone down. Are you gonna ask me? What do you have for dinner? I had roses. What did you have? Also roses. I was with you. <laughs> You're supposed to ask me. Oh, wrong question. How was your day? Um I, my day was pretty good. How about yours? It's good. It's good. That's good, yeah. Yeah. That's still not it. I appreciate that. <laughs> Can I have a multiple choice? No. Where are we going? Where are we going? Do I have to get on a plane? Can I take a car, bus, You don't have train? to get on a plane. Can I, I walk? Mean, you probably could. You, don't, you can't walk. Can I, mean, I you scooter? Could, you could, but it's going to take a long time because we're going to Goliad, Texas. Not Gilead. I not don't want to be a handmaid. No. I will cut off those penises. Under his and eye. make them eat them. <laughs> so we're going to Goliad, which is a very small, tiny town in Texas, Pretty far south. It's about 340 miles oh, south. Oh, I definitely don't want to ride a but scooter. But it's closer to San Antonio than Houston. So it's not the area to the coast where we go. So, But it's on the way to Port Aransas. So if I the next time I go to Port A, I'm going to try to swing through there and try to get some pictures and stuff. Very small town. One traffic light. People, everybody sleeps with their doors unlocked. So I came about this story from a show on ID called Welcome to Murder Town. I love that show. Yep. It's season one, episode three. So this story is about a woman named Patricia Lee Mills. So it's 2002. Patricia and her husband, Delbert, and their six-year-old son, John I'm Michael. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, Delbert. Not Dilbert. Delbert. Delbert Mills. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it that Delbert. way. It's Patricia and her husband, Delbert. D-E-L-Bert. <laughs> yeah. He looked like a Delbert for sure, too. It looks like one. Not Delmar. Not Delmar. No. <laughs> we thought you was a toad. <sighs> okay. Not Delmar. Delbert. So Patricia, her husband, Delbert, and their six-year-old son, John Michael, moved to Goliad. Delbert had a new job. They're looking forward to this small town life. And so they're trying to just live their life in this little tiny town. Um, they seemed very happy with each other. They seemed like they had this great marriage. 
Uh, Patricia talked to people about Delbert. She had this glow about her. He doted on her. He treated her like a queen, blah, 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 all the usual shit that you hear, right? Well, if we're covering this story, some of this is probably bullshit, okay? And what 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 month are we in? I'm leading up to that. Oh, I just know if I'm, I don't know. I didn't know if I was hot or cold. No, it's going to still be hot, but (laughs) we're building a story of like this family. Um, And Patricia was from a small town, so not necessarily in Texas, but she was from a small town, so she knows what it's like. So she was in her element in this small town. She made friends with with lots of people in the town. Um, One of the women that she bonded with really well, her name is Sherry Dunnell, who was worked at a local restaurant. And so Patricia and her family would go to this restaurant a lot. And so uh, Patricia and Sherry became really, really good friends. Um, And she also said they seemed like a really happy couple couple and um, that Patricia was a really good mother. Okay. It's May of 2003. And I'm graduating high school. Patricia and her family go to her sister Sharon's house, who lives closer to the coast. So they go and they're like sitting and they can see the beach and they're talking and they're, they're catching up and gossiping like families do. Um, they were born and raised in North Carolina. They enjoyed visiting the ocean. And, you know, Sharon was saying, hey, you know, what do you do next weekend? Can you come back and visit? She's like, yeah. You know, unfortunately, that's the last time they spoke. So now... The next month, we're in June of 2003, 7.30-ish in the morning. A Goliad resident named Mildred and her friend are going to the Super S store there in Goliad. They're driving, and they see smoke coming up through some trees. Did you say Super S? Super S. Is that like Super Savings? I don't know. It's just it's okay. just the Super S store. Like There's a lot of special S's in there that you can buy. There's cupcakes, Twinkies, hamburgers. Hot dogs, breads, candies. Got it. You know, all the S's are in there. Got it. I wish we had a super S. It would be a super. Like the Lawrence. <laughs> okay, so they see smoke. And Mildred said to her friend, well, that's not good. They just put a burn ban in place, and now someone's burning something inside the city limits. <laughs> no, they didn't. They did. So they start looking closer, and they realize there's a house that's on fire. So Mildred's friend calls the fire department. While they park their car and Mildred goes across the street to try to see, because she sees a little boy standing there. So they park, she goes across the street, she gets to the little boy, he's standing by a tree, and he said, she said, can I, are are you okay? Can I help you? And he goes, just get my mommy out of the house. Just save my mommy. Oh no, my Mm -hmm. heart. Mm -hmm. So Mildred walks, she makes the little boy stay there. She walks to the house and she's determined to get this little boy's mom out of this house. So uh, Mildred goes to the bathroom window, which was like slightly open. You know how those kind that you turn and they just kind of pop open. Mm-hmm. She can hear a woman crying and she's like, hang on, honey. We're, we're doing the best we can. Just just hang on. Just hang on. Mildred found a door, but there were padlocks on the door. From padlock. the outside? Mm-hmm. There's a padlock on the outside of the door. So she looks around. She finds a piece of rebar and she's like using that to try to break the lock off. She finally gets the lock off and she opens the door and there's all this thick black smoke. But about that time, the firemen got there, so they put her, they're like, they're not going in there. So they push her aside and go in, but... Well, good job to her to get the door she undone. She was trying, yeah. Um, but the firefighters were too late to save the woman that was trapped inside. So this, she perishes. Sharon's at home in Victoria. That's where she lived. Oblivious, this sheriff shows up at her house, knocks on the door and says, Miss um, Burdett, there's been a fire at your sister's home. 
And of course, the first thing she said is, what about my sister and my brother-in-law and my nephew? And he tells her that Delbert was at work when it happened. Oh, how convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where this is headed. And that John somehow escaped by smashing a window with his toy box. Oh, okay. what a smart little boy. But he said, I'm sorry, your sister didn't make it out alive. So, of Oh, course, my God, those words are terrifying. No, I don't, I don't, if I'm getting chills. Because, you know, her like us, it wasn't just her sister. It was, she lost a best friend. Patricia's husband, Delbert, was at work, which was 13 miles away from where they lived. And so he gets the call, the bad news, and he like hauls ass, goes, goes and gets John and goes straight to his, his to Sharon's house. So his sister-in-law. Sharon tells the little boy, you know, your mommy's in heaven now. She's your guardian angel. And so she's asking Delbert, like, what the hell happened? He said, I have no idea. He said, I was at work when they called me. He said, I have an alibi. It wasn't me. No, this is what he says. I have no idea how John got out. The window was broken previously and I fixed it with really thick plexiglass. So there was no way he would have been able to get out. And she just is looking at him like, that's that's what you have to say. What about Patricia? Or how the fire started? Yeah, or thank God my son's okay. I don't care how he got out. He got out. Like thank or, God. Or I wish I hadn't fixed that window. Right. Yeah. Maybe they both could have gotten out. Exactly. So nobody, Or maybe I shouldn't have put those damn padlocks on the door. Hmm. Yeah. So nobody can understand how John survived. But at this point, um, Patricia's sister just sees it as a miracle. She's like, I, I don't care. She tells Deborah, look, you and John can stay here with us until you figure out a place, a new place to live. So he tells her, well, you know, I have to tell you that Patricia and I talked in the past about what would happen to John if anything should happen to me or her. And um, we decided that you and your husband would get John. So I'm going to leave him here with you. But nothing happened to him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So why would he need to leave his son exactly. there? Because um, his plan was for them to both die. And that's not what happened. I mean, in my opinion. Uh, well, if that, mean, That's where I'm going why, in my head. Well, well, we'll see. But I mean, I would go there too. Because why is he so worried about how his kid got out? Why right. isn't he glad that his kid got out? Right. They were talking about somebody taking John if something happened to the both of them, not one or the mm-hmm. other. Because the kid already lost his mom. He doesn't need to lose his dad too, right? So Sharon tries to convince him like, look, my family and I will help you raise John. You don't have to do it alone. And he said no. And insisted that this is what Patricia wanted. John moves in with Sharon and she's trying to get the family back on track, right? She's the she's like, okay, we I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. The fire marshals have been investigating the ruins of the house, looking for the cause of the fire. They call Sharon and ask her if there was any chance that the fire was intentional. And she was like, no. She said, I think it's I thought it was an accident. And they're like, okay, with it, without any evidence of how it started, the, the cause of the fire is undetermined. So they close the investigation. Just like that. They had John start seeing a counselor to work through all the trauma over missing his mom and losing her, right? That's and the guilt traumatic. of leaving her behind. Because how old is he? Uh, at this time, he's only six. Oh, poor baby. Can you imagine? Six years old. Now his mom's gone. And now his dad abandoned him. Mm-hmm. And now he's with his aunt. Thankfully, he's with somebody that he loves and that mm-hmm. he knows loves him. Right. But it's not the same. It's not your mom. No. There's nobody that can replace your mom. And you know you're never going to see your mom. Like, your mom's gone. Not even like it's a short vacation or a no. short time. She's gone. And your dad comes and goes, obviously. So seven weeks after Patricia's death, Delbert shows up at Sharon's house. and He's got some news to tell her. I'm married. He shows up to Sharon's house in a new truck because she was like, oh, you have a new truck, huh? And tells her he's getting married to a girl named Allison Newman. No. Yep. Um, Allison Newman was a family friend. 
Um, of course, she's in shock, and she can't believe it. She's like, how can he turn his back on his son? And then he's disrespecting my sister with mm-hmm. this bullshit. So he told her, he's like, I have to move on with my life. Um, one month later, they get married. Um, I could see him needing to move on if it had been a year, mm-hmm. maybe two years. Seven weeks. So not even full two months. And then another month before they actually got married. So basically three months after she passed away, they got married. So not only shame on her, but shame on you, Allison. He just lost his wife that obviously he wasn't in love with, I guess. If Anyway, we'll get there. Unless she was with him before. Well, Sharon says that this showed her for sure that Delbert never loved her sister Mm-mm, to begin clearly. with. Clearly. And so Sharon's sitting there. She's like, she starts thinking this through. And she's like, hold on a second. Delbert was worried about how John was able to get out of the house. He didn't show any emotion about losing his wife, Patricia. He wanted her and her husband to take John, and then he married Allison. She's like, he probably killed my sister. Mm -hmm. And he tried to kill my nephew as well. Mm -hmm. And he's not really sure how John got out, but that ruined his plan. So she's like, I have to get justice for my sister. So now she's on a fucking mission. She's not going to give up until... until Is she a gathrite? She should be. She totally should be. She can be an honorary gathrite. Yeah, she can. Absolutely. Because... This woman, she drives 30 miles to Goliad to talk to the sheriff there. She goes in, asks to talk to a detective, and she tells him, my sister died in a house fire. It was ruled an accident, but I really believe that my brother-in-law killed her. It was a murder. And she said, after she told him the story, she could just see in his eyes that he believed her. She said, he said, until the fire becomes a crime, nobody's going to open an investigation. So he totally blew her off. She left. So she's like, okay, well, you're not going to help me, but that doesn't mean I'm going to give up. Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, I have to keep, I have to do what I have to do to get justice for my sister. I can't stop. So she starts doing some digging of her own. Yeah, that's what we do. like we would do. So she started keeping a diary of everything that, that she could, anytime something little happened or something she thought of, she wrote it down. She started looking at the insurance policy, which Delbert told her was worth $5,000. But after she got the information, she realized it was worth $15,000. Why would he lie about that? Why would you lie about that? So she thought, okay, so the leftover of the life insurance policy and wanting to marry Allison, to me, that's motive. Okay. So with now her motive, what she thinks could be motive, she goes back to the sheriff's office and says, look, I know I came here before, but now I actually can show you his motivation to do this. And not just the life insurance money, but the insurance money for the house. I don't, that never came up. Because if it's an accidental burn, then he would have got insurance on the house. Well, she didn't say anything about that. Oh, I mean, I'm just saying that's even more. Like if he, if he gets rid of his kid and his wife, he gets life insurance if they have both on both of them or one of them, whatever. And then if the house accidentally burns down and you own the home, it was ruled an accident, then you're going to get that money too. And then you roll up in a new truck. Um, So she goes back to the sheriff's office asking them to do um, an investigation. And at this point, it is, it's already been two years because it happened in 2003, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's, it's two years later. So she goes back to the sheriff's office. This time, I think the first time she called, this time she shows up and announced. She asked to speak to the detective that she talked to the, the first time and they tell her that he had passed away. So she gets she gets a new detective. And she's thinking, okay, good, like a, a, a new, new start, right? A new start. He tells her the fire wasn't deemed as a crime, so Sharon would have to have more evidence. That's not enough for them to open an investigation. Like more evidence, like a witness. 
what she has isn't enough. So she's thinking, okay, you need a witness. I'll go. So she goes and starts questioning all Patricia and Delbert's friends, finding out, do you know anything about the fire? Has Delbert talked about the fire? But nobody's talking. Like nobody, they're like, no, we don't know anything. Um, later that year, so this says June of 2005. So that had to be early. Later that year, Sharon gets a phone call from who do you think is going to call her? Fucking Allison. Because they aren't together anymore? Um, she says, please don't hang up. I need to talk to you. She's thinking, oh, I was going to hang up on you, bitch. But I really want to know what you have to say. She says, I think Delbert may have had something to do with Patricia's death. So she's shocked, but relieved at the same time. Like, okay, my God. So she says, you're going to have to come here and go with me to the sheriff's office. Because I don't want, I want you to tell them whatever it is. She comes to Goliad. They go to the sheriff's office so she can tell her story. So she begins to tell him that she and Delbert got into an argument. Um, they were arguing about John. And he said, you know, if you don't like the way I handle things, we don't need to be together. And she says, fine, I'll leave. And he said, if you do that, I'll do the same thing to you that I did to Patricia. <gasps> she said, what do you mean by that? And he said, if you leave, I'll burn you alive in this house. Do you get me? Damn. That's a confession if I ever heard one. Right. And so the detective says, do you feel like he was being truthful or was he just trying to scare you? And she says, I've been with that man for almost two years. I can tell when he's lying to me and I can tell when he's straight up telling the truth. And to be real honest, I've never seen that man look so cold. It's like he was empty. I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but he also wasn't upset about it. He wasn't crying when he said what he did. It was just a matter of fact. So the sheriff says, why didn't you tell me this when Delbert told you? And she said, well, I figured I was safer and better if I just left it alone. But the more I thought about it, I started getting scared for my own life and realized it's also not right. Mm -hmm. So I guess a little bit of her conscience got to her. But the detective was like, how do I know that you're not making it up for some other kind of motive? He didn't really believe her. He, I think he thought she was full of shit. So Sharon's thinking, yeah, I mean, here's my witness. This is great. Um, but the detective tells her, we need another witness. So she's what like, what the hell? So now she's freaking back to square, square one. But she's thinking, okay, well, but if he bragged to Allison, he probably bragged to other people. So now I'm going to have to go back and start making more. So she goes back through this process again, calling people. Nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to talk. So then um, remember Patricia's friend, Sherry, that worked at the restaurant? Mm-hmm. She decides to visit Sharon. All this is out of the room. So she goes to Sharon's house and she says, hey, I need to talk to you. And she's looking around like she's nervous and scared. She says um, about three weeks after the fire, Sherry and her husband, Corey, were at their trailer just relaxing. And all of a sudden, Delbert showed up and he and Corey were outside. They were drinking. Um, he And she said it seemed like Delbert was already drunk. So... Um, Corey starts asking Delbert about Patricia and how she died. And he says she was sleeping in the back room. And this is what, so um, Sherry's inside the trailer and they're outside. And so she's hearing this through the window. He says she was sleeping in the back room. I made the fire. I put some boxes there so she couldn't get her fat ass through, man. <gasps> mm -hmm. Sherry goes out there and says, are you telling me you murdered your wife? And he says, oh, I haven't done nothing. And so, of course, this is the first time Sherry's seeing this side of Delbert because she's one of the ones in the beginning of this episode that says that they were in love and had this mm -hmm. beautiful relationship, right? And that he doted on her and all that bullshit. Just fucking be honest, right? If they right. fought, they fought, right? 
he walked up to Sherry, got real close, and says, besides, you wouldn't say anything. And then blew cigarette smoke in her face. <gasps> what a prick. Yeah, this guy's a real piece of work. And why, why did her husband, Corey, stand up for her? That right? pissed me off. So Sherry's afraid to go to the cops because she was afraid if she did, and I think everybody was afraid of him. I'm sure. That, um, he would hurt her and potentially the rest of her family. And she tells Sharon, look, I'm sorry for not telling you sooner, but I really was scared. And I can't keep it to myself anymore. Like, it's killing me inside to not tell anybody. So Sharon says, you're coming with me to the sheriff's office, and you're going to tell them what you told me. So she brings this other witness to the freaking sheriff's office, just like she did before. Sherry starts telling the, the detective what, what Delbert told her. Um, the detective decides to tell Sharon that they aren't going to open an investigation because he didn't think Sherry was a credible witness. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Do they not want to work or what? I don't know. He didn't understand why, why Delbert would randomly show up and confess to one of Patricia's friends what he did. He didn't go there with that intention. He got drunk and mouthy and it came out. Mm-hmm. That's what white trash do. It's not like he went over there to say, I'm going to go tell my friends I murdered my wife. He got drunk. He got brave. He got cocky. And he said it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Sharon, it doesn't deter her. She's like, OK, you know what? Fine. I am the squeaky wheel and I will not stop. This is how she is. So now we're in 2008. Okay. It's been six years since she was burned to death on her own damn house. Own damn house. Two people are saying it was Delbert, but the sheriff's office, they're not going to. And he's just living his life, right? Yeah. yeah. So this is what I wrote in all, ca- all caps. Come on, Texas, get your shit together. I could do a better job as sheriff and I have no formal training. Absolutely. <laughs> but a new sheriff has been elected in Goliath. Oh, there's a new sheriff in Sharon, town. When Sharon sees this, she's like, okay, it's a new one. I'm going to start all over again with this guy. Smart. So she she meets him, she shows up, and she gives him everything. So this new sheriff is a guy that he was, he's a constable, and he's retired, but he was bored. So he still wanted to, like, help the city of Goliath out when they needed it. He agrees to meet with her, and she gives him all the stuff that she had that she had given the other two detectives. And his name is Mike Thompson, and I, I got a picture of him. He's like, look at him, and you just see this Texas is seeping out everywhere. Mm-hmm. So he realized, he decides, you know what? You have enough evidence for me to open an investigation. Wow. And they're going to, I'm going to have him look at the fire again. And so, uh, oh, actually, the, she talks to this detective, and he assigns the case to the constable, Mike Thompson, because he's like the retired guy that mm-hmm. has time to go look at it. Mike takes the case file home and he starts digging into all of the details. And one of the first things he noticed is that the house appeared as if it could very well have been set up for a fire. There are three doors to the residence, two of which were blocked. One had a padlock and the other one was blocked by a bed. There was only one exit and that is where the fire marshal said the fire started. His gut instinct told him that there was more to this than what they were seeing. And Did he get his fat ass through the door? On its way out. What a piece of shit. Yeah, I know. I got so pissed. It's, I told you. She only birthed your son, but she's fat. Piss you off. Yeah. So we, as we know, because we are familiar with small towns, nothing is a secret. And people are usually afraid to come forward because others will find out. But as you know, silence doesn't last forever. A friend of Allison's named Keisha Ringland contacts the Goliad Sheriff's Department. She lived in Victoria. Um, and she has a secret that she's finally ready to share. Mm. Okay. Too bad. It waited, they waited so long, but whatever the, this Mike Thompson gets in his car and he goes to visit her. And so she tells him that in November of 2007, 
She and her husband hit a rough patch in their marriage and they were fighting. So she called Allison and asked if she could come over and talk with her and maybe even spend the night. So Allison says, sure. And so Allison and Keisha are sitting there talking and Allison's, um, she tells Allison, you know, I don't know if I can stay married to him. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And so Delbert, piece of shit, says, I can, I can help you with that. I could set the apartment on fire and make it look like an accident. And so Keisha said, of course, the conversation got real serious, real fast. He said he could kill her husband for her if she wanted him to. And of course, this scared the shit out of her. And she goes, I would never want anything to happen to my husband. So no. And she looked at Allison like, did he really say yeah, that? Yeah, right. And Allison just had a really strange look on her face and said, that's how his first wife died. She just said it? Just like that. That's how his first wife died. And oh Delbert replied, yeah, I got away with that too. And started laughing. That cocky cocky son of a bitch, he needs to to go. Yeah, and Keisha knew he's not lying. He's telling the truth. And she was so shocked that he just confessed to me as if it was no big deal. And so she didn't go to the police because like everybody else, she was terrified of him. I mean, that's creepy and cold and I get it. It's scary. Um, But eventually her conscience got the best of her and she had to tell somebody. Good. The detective has another witness and better one step closer into getting getting answers because they consider her a credible witness with no axe to grind, no other motives or anything like that. Eight years after the fire, they finally bring Delbert in for questioning. Mm, After after her. So now she's the third witness. Right. Mm Because you've got. Well, fourth. Fourth. Right. Right. Well, no, wait, you have Sharon's not really witness. Well, I guess she brought it to them. So Sharon. Um, Keisha and um, Sherry. So and only three. And, what, and Corey. Well, her husband, Al- so that's what, four. Isn't Allison one? Because didn't she say okay. she was afraid because he told her? Yeah. So four or five. There's plenty of witnesses right. at that point. So they bring him in, and there's video of this interrogation on this episode. Actually, there's video of all these interrogations. So some of this stuff that I typed is word for word of what they had. I put it, oh, put God. the. I put the closed caption on so I could just type it. So they ask him, well, how do you think the fire started? And he says, I'm telling you right now, I didn't burn the house down. <laughs> that was his response. So, if that's what you're, in, if that's what you're <laughs> implying, I didn't do it. <laughs> so um, he says, I left the house about 6.30. And they said, well, did you talk to your wife before you left? He said, no, I didn't talk to her I didn't talk I to that fat ass. Nope, sure didn't. He said, the next thing I know, I get a call saying my house is on fire. So I race back to the house. By the time I get there, the fire truck's already there. I asked about my son and my wife. He, they told him that Patricia didn't make it. And that, um, and of course, when he says that, he got a little choked up. But it, you could tell it wasn't sincere. It was like... No, he was he pissed his, that his son he, made it out. Well, he knew that they were they were going to be looking at his emotions. So you can tell it's not real. But he gets a little tiny choked up. It's So they say, hey, if you're so innocent and you're so sure, take a polygraph. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. Of course he fails. They, they know he's lying, right? <laughs> So after after he hears him talking that, you know, he didn't do well in polygraph, he's like, well, maybe maybe I can tell you how I possibly started a fire, but it, but it was an accident, but it would have been an accident, which, you know, this is common for like when they know that their polygraph is going to, that they're going to fail or they might fail, they're like, well, maybe, maybe this happened and that's how it got started, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, I was going through the front room, I put my cigarette in the ashtray, went out the front door. And when I signed the front door, I think that lamp fell. And that's how the fire started. You didn't want to go back in and t- put it out before you, you went to work? You didn't want to double check since your wife and, and your kid are in there. You don't want to And did you strategically back. padlock the door and put a bed right. in front of the door? Right. But detectives already know 
Um, they've already talked to the fire marshal, so they know that's not true. Because a cigarette, they said a cigarette isn't going to ignite lantern fuel. It has to be an open flame, like a match true. or a candle. Makes sense. It's just going to extinguish. Sure. Right? It's not Makes enough sense. of a, yeah. Now, he's fake crying. Oh. And he's crying. <laughs> he's not crying because his wife is dead or he didn't have a son. He's crying because they really do believe he actually has something to do with it. And it's funny. I urge you to watch it. I was laughing. So they've already got the motive figured out. He was in love with this girl, Allison. He didn't want to be married. He didn't want the hassle of divorce. And he also didn't want to pay child support. What a pe- What is it? Know. Excuse me, deadbeat dads. What What is so hard to pay child support? Like when you're with someone and you live with them, you pay more most of the time than when you pay child support. Because child support is a fixed income that you give every month. Yep. But when you live with that person and y'all are cohabiting and you're taking care of the child you're every meal you're helping you're helping clothe them feed them bathe them i mean it's 24 7 so i found this affidavit affidavit that i want to read it tells about some of the stuff that came out in the trial okay okay which it's very enlightening i'm ready to be enlightened okay the trial court heard evidence that he's a piece of shit Patricia had discovered that he was having an affair with Allison and threatened a divorce. He told Patricia he would kill her before he would give her a divorce. He was angry and perplexed that John Michael escaped the fire because he had plexiglassed and caulked the window. Okay. What a piece of shit. Get this. No smoke alarms were found in the house, although there was evidence that at least two smoke alarms were there earlier. The garden hose could not be used to extinguish the fire because it had been chopped up. What a fucking piece mm-hmm. of shit. He is like an evil, he is evil, evil. He, he admitted that he had argued with Patricia the morning of the fire. A Coleman lantern, the type that he used, was found at the origin of the fire with the cap removed. He initially told the fire chief that... The lanterns were only decorative, um, and he lied about having life insurance on Patricia, which later he collected that and used the money to purchase a new truck. He he married Allison two months after her death, in part to ensure he was protected by the spousal privilege, so that means that he couldn't testify against her, and she couldn't testify against him. That's why he married her. That is some bullshit. Um, So he wasn't even in love with her. He he, just didn't want to get in trouble for what he mm -hmm. did. He threatened to burn Allison like he did Patricia. He told a friend that he knew how to start a fire and collect insurance without being caught and offered to start the fire for her for $10,000. Offered to get rid of Keisha's husband by setting the apartment's complex on fire and said the police would think it was an accident. He admitted that he got away with killing Patricia and was laughing about it. What a gem. He told Sherry that the morning of the fire, he turned the gas on, laid a cigarette next to the gas, left candles burning in the house. So um, he wanted to cover all bases. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything with the open flame. That's it is a miracle that that so, boy got out. He, he told people that he liked to use those common lanterns to save on electricity. So I think this was a very, very premeditated thing. It said earlier, I, I, I don't know where it was, but he also only married her because he got her pregnant. So he never was in love with her, her to begin with. So for them to betray this couple as this loving couple pisses me off more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like... Because then you steer them more away from the husband. You do. You know, and you think that you're at that point, you're being selfish and only protecting yourself. If you're scared of him, then you could tell the sheriff, look, 
I want to tell you the truth, but I need a protective order because I don't trust yeah. this man. He's dangerous. Exactly. So I will tell you everything I know and the truth, but I need a protection of order. Mm-hmm. No. No, not a protection of order. I need an order of protection. You need to be a witness witness protection. Yeah, I, and, and, or something. I just need I need you to I need you to make sure that once I give you the information, you're not going to act on it till it's safe. And you're not going to let him know where this information comes from because I have a family and I, I want to, I want to do what's best for my friend, Patricia and her son, but I also have a family of my own. Right. You know, I don't want him coming to set my house on fire. There is a difference between when so like, you know, when you're driving and there's someone on the side of the road that needs help. I'm not going to put my life in danger by pulling over on the side of the road, but I will call 911 for you. I will call a tow truck for you. I will help you where it's safe. I will help this family tell them what's really going on, but I need to be sure that I'm safe. There's a fine line there. You don't have to lie. Lying just, look, how many years? Six, seven, eight years before Mm -hmm. they finally get to find justice for her? That's sad. Um, So the DA needs them to figure out how Delbert was able to set the fire while he was at work. That's the last missing piece. I mean, they don't really have any evidence against him. It's, I mean, they have witnesses, but... The DA said we, we need... What did he say, like a booby trap or something? So um, so the detectives are like, okay, let's go back to the taped interviews from the very beginning and watch them. Maybe there's something that we missed. Bam. They noticed that at the end of Sherry's interview, they interview her husband as well. That's Corey? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know why. I guess they just blew him off because they thought she was not a credible witness. I guess they didn't really think he was credible either. Mm-hmm. So... Corey's talking and he was like, yeah. And so Corey's talking about the night that Delbert showed up and he was talking about it. He said, yeah, he started telling me how he planned some stuff about the fire, you know, about setting the candles and the gas and stuff like that. And they're like, that, that was there this whole time. That's not new evidence that they got. That was on those tapes from the very beginning. Um, they go back and question him and they're like, look, we have you. Mm-hmm. We just need you to tell us what happened. So what he did is that he, there was like a table, like a, like a TV, TV tray, right? Mm -hmm. That had a lip. So he turned the Coleman lantern over, took the lid off and left the fuel pool and then lit a candle and stuck the candle in it and then left. So that's how he was able to get away when the fire started, when the candle burned down to where it got to the fuel it ignited on fire. Mm -hmm. And where that was is where most of the fire was and since it was by the door she couldn't get out because that was the only exit that was left the other door was padlocked which for some reason they said was always padlocked maybe so john wouldn't get out i don't know um and the other door was blocked by a bed i don't know if that was always blocked by a bed i don't know i don't know if that was the boxes or if he was just bullshitting i don't know i just know the only way for her to get out was right where the fire started so she had no way of getting out so finally they have enough the prosecution finally has enough to arrest him for the murder of Patricia Lee. And she was obviously sleeping in their room and the boy was in his room. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they call Sharon and they're like, guess what? He's in custody. And You're like, you motherfuckers she's like, didn't well, listen I mean, to me all these, these years. These guys did. The thing is, is like this new guy, Mike Thompson, he did listen to her. Yeah. He can't. It's not his fault what happened. It's yeah. fucked up. And those two 
detectives, you're really lazy asses and you give Texas other sheriffs a bad name. You so give Texas a bad, bad name. name. Maybe, maybe you're retired and you're enjoying your retirement, but I mean, that's on you. When he goes to trial, of course, he's still saying how innocent he is. But while he's in custody, 11 more witnesses who were previously too afraid to cooperate came forward to testify that he bragged about killing his wife. 11 people. Can you imagine? I just don't understand how, people. I mean, it's a small town. And I said, people talk. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what happens. But like, he's so scary of a guy. And when you see him, he's not like this big, strong. He's a little wiry, redneck piece of shit. Anyway, this is Texas. Like, they have a gun. Shoot his ass. You got to come on my porch? I'm going to shoot your ass right, cause off. Right, because it's, it's not like he walked around carrying a pistol. No. That he, I mean, obviously he suffers from some kind of mental issue, he's but jacked. it's not like he's a drunk or he's high on drugs. He is just an asshole that likes to control women, mm-hmm. has absolutely no remorse or no empathy respect. to anyone, has no heart. What What is he going to do? Set your house? He's going to break in and set your house on fire? He's got to get to work before it's going to happen. He's got to have an alibi, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I give it to him. That was smart how he planned the fire. That That's smart. I'm not saying like what no, he did, but, but, but I you, mean. Your point is good. If he hadn't bragged about it, he would have got away with it. Yeah, he would have. He would have got away with Even it. Even though Sharon knew deep down that he had something Sharon to do with it. never given up. So she wouldn't have. probably wouldn't have got away with it because she would have kept on going. She would Even eventually. If she had to kill him herself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And the little boy, obviously, he didn't remember anything that happened that morning. I, I don't, I don't, I doubt that because I'm sure he did remember because um, John Michael, at the time of the trial, was 16 years old and he did make a victim statement. Oh my God. Yeah. He says, There's one question, and that question is Delbert, why did you take away the one and only person who truly believed in loving me with all her heart and, and soul? My mother. Why? Hold on. It's sad. <laughs> So he is convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life. And that piece of shit is in Bill Clements' unit in Amarillo, Texas. And it says he's eligible for parole in 2041, but I know they're not going to let him out. No, and how old will he be at that time? I don't even know. I don't even care. Because if he was... I never said his age. I didn't do a lot of research I mean, even if he... Let's say he was 20, 30 at the most. He's going to be 60 or 70 by then. Mm -hmm. So John, I didn't really look up to see where he's at, but... I'm sure he's close to Sharon and her family. Yeah, because that's like that's his, his mom. Aunt. That's his mm-hmm. aunt, his aunt mom, <laughs> which we all have. We have yeah. an aunt mom. So, um, so that is the fucked up story of Patricia Lee Mills. What a piece of shit, Delbert. Okay, he's so dumb. Got away with it for a long time. And I mean, shame on not... Allison too. Like she, yeah. knew, she knew what happened. I understand so, people get scared. I, I, I get it. I, I mean, it. I've never been in that situation. I thank can't God. Imagine being so scared that I'm not going to do the right thing. No, but like you, you're with you sleep next to this man every night, and you know what he did and what he's capable of, and he has a child out there. And what he if doesn't he doesn't want to even have a part of? And at this point, if he's going to kill you, he's going to kill you like he did her. So whether you speak about it or you don't, what is your other option? If he's threatened to kill you and burn you alive like he did Patricia, then telling on him doesn't put you in any more danger. What do you have to lose? Yeah. Ridiculous. How do you even sleep at night? No. How do you sleep knowing what he did and then knowing that that could potentially happen to you? Like, there's no way. I would have to take control of my life. I wouldn't be able to have and the fact to have someone have that much control over me. No. That he's disappointed that his son didn't make it out? Yeah. Like, that is disgusting. And that's all premeditated. You, you cock the window. 
you chopped up the freaking water hose, you made sure that the only way out was where the fire's gonna start so you can get out. You you timed like you you knew you had at least 30 minutes to an hour to get to work so that they didn't blame it on you. You go and buy a new truck. You marry a girl that you were cheating with before. So he was cheating on Patricia with Allison. So they're cheating. Mm-hmm. And then she dies. And then so Allison, like, why does she want to marry somebody like that? You know? I don't I just don't get it. It's it's fucked up. But you know, these Texas stories, this is why we have this podcast because yeah. and first time I've ever heard of Goliad, Texas. Me, well, I've heard of Goliad. We we I think we kind of go through there or I see the sign when we go to Port A. But this was one of those again that I stumbled upon watching uh, the ID channel. I, I love it. Today I was trying to find more shows to watch. And I was like, oh, this sounds good. And you know how like when you click it and you go to watch it and then you realize you've already watched it. Yeah. I went through all the it's seasons. All... I'm like, mother, I've already watched all these shows. <laughs> Damn it. Well, sometimes I go back and watch them because if I have them on at night and I fall asleep, it'll keep going. So oh, yeah, like, yeah. I'll read the description and if it makes sense, like if I can remember the episode, then I won't. But if I don't remember the episode, I'll go back and watch it. So you might want to do that because well, I watch it... falling, as- falling asleep. I the one thing I watch when I go to sleep is forensic files Oh, because I've seen all of that. them. And I love his voice. And it's to me, it's, it's relaxing either that or unsolved <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> what do you go to sleep to murder shows? <laughs> Does it keep you awake? No, no, I'll be laying there half asleep. And they're like in a small town in Texas. I'm like, what? I know my glasses on right and I get down. my phone out and I write it down. Mm-hmm. I went through a spell where I was watching Bob Ross, but I was like, Cut it. His voice have... is icky. It makes me feel icky. Really? Yeah, I don't like his voice. Rest in peace, Patricia Lee Mills. And I hope you're doing well out there, John Michael Mills. And kudos to Sharon. Good job, Sharon. Yes. Yes, round a, of applause. You're a good sister, man. Yep. And you can be on our podcast anytime. Anytime. Yep. Come visit us. It's fine. So that's a wrap. All right. Thank you guys for your support. We love you. And until next time. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.